Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today we're talking with Andrew Scott Wills about his history in muzzleloading, his love of American history, and how he has transitioned that into his passion project, Hawk and Horse, with its upcoming album, Long Hunter. Well, I'm Andrew Wills, and I am a, a songwriter and a writer and a muzzleloader enthusiast. I uh, I started long ago when I just became obsessed with history and, and uh, particularly obsessed with, you know, Daniel Boone and Simon Kenton and a lot of, I grew up in uh, Southern Ohio. Mm. And so a lot of those, you know, amazing people from our past, like were very present as I was growing up, I would see their names on schools and roads and, monuments all over the place and so i just became really interested in that era and uh and obviously the flintlock muzzleloader was uh, a huge part of that era so i i definitely was interested early on um i bought a traditions kentucky kit when i was I think like 14 or 15. <laughs> About what, what year would that have been? That would have been... No, like early 90s. Okay. Mid 90s. Probably like 94, I'm guessing. Okay. Like probably been when it... And it's hanging on the wall and it is ugly. Like <laughs> I did a horrible job. <laughs> But I love that gun. Oh, yeah. I'm proud of it. You Good, know, yeah. As it is. <clears throat> but I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, in my my dad had never built anything like that before. That was, like, out of his scope. And then my grandpa, who had built a couple kits before, lived in Michigan. So I didn't get to see him on a regular basis to, you know, have him kind of show me what to do. Right. And, uh, you're kind of flying so, blind. Yeah. Yeah. I was just kind of figuring, and this is long before YouTube. So I was just like, I had a, a bifold pamphlet to tell me how to build this thing. <laughs> and I, I so, just figured it out as I went. So do you, do you remember how you acquired it or, or how you'd found out about those kits? Was it just kind of common knowledge or was it something in particular? I feel like I, they were really hot at the time. I remember everybody getting like a Kentucky pistol kit. Okay. Like, I remember those being so popular and I, I think I had a Cabela's catalog and they had several kits in there and I was like, you know, they had a Hawk and they had, you know, a couple options like the St. Louis Hawk in. And, yeah. But I wanted the Kentucky cause Simon Kenton was who I was into. I wanted the Kentucky. <laughs> and I love that gun, but when it showed up and it was like only to my waist, I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't that's, think about that. That's yeah. not what I remember from Last of the Mohicans. Right, right. These, so, this isn't the long gun I, I've grown to, right. to love in American, American history. Yeah. Well, I love that gun, obviously. Yeah. And, it's it's got a huge cinema value and it hangs in my studio to this day as inspiration. But uh um but since then I my my grandpa when he was uh getting up there in years, he uh 
gave me his Thompson center arm hawking that I hunt with to this day. I, I hunt with it a lot and it's, it's put down many a deer. That's fantastic. Yeah. I just, I've always just wanted to be connected to the past that, you know, the 1700s, 1800s. Like I just, that's just a cool way to experience a little bit of what they experienced. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And I think a, a muzzleloader is kind of the, the thing that we're drawn to a lot because we still have, you know, a, a firearms culture here in the United States that is kind of a direct line. You know, I think, I think guns and like cooking and clothing are some of the most accessible ways for us mm. to, to touch that history a little bit because we can connect it with what we still have today. Yeah, absolutely. So you built your you built your traditions Kentucky in the the early to the mid nineties. What mm-hmm. happened then? You know, after that, you know, your late nineties into the two thousands. Here, did you did you yeah. stay with it, or was it kind of something that kind of ebbed and flowed as you grew? It it ebbed and flowed. I I uh, like in, when I went into college, it was still like. I would hunt and that's about the extent of black powder at that point in my life, because mm-hmm. I just was really busy with holding down a, a job in college. I was, I was taking college courses and working a, a job and, um, you know, I was a pretty, pretty busy guy. And then I got married <laughs> pretty, pretty soon. It's just like you blink and, you know, life's happening. And, yeah. And, uh, so hunting is the one thing that kept me into muzzleloading, um, during these, you know, these years, but I always was reading, I, like, I never stopped digging into the books and, uh, you know, every time I saw, saw a history sign, I had to pull over and read it. You know, every right. time I, if I'm driving through Pennsylvania, you know, I was like, Oh, I've, I've got to stopping at Gettysburg or Valley Forge or whatever. Uh-huh. And, um, so that never went away, but the actively getting out and shooting all the time, uh, did kind of fade. And then I had a, a huge, you know, life altering thing happen when my son was born. He had a, a really rough time and actually, uh, had a, he has cerebral palsy to this day and is in uh-huh. a wheelchair. Uh-huh. So that was kind of a life altering pivot point in my life when I was like, well, I'm not going to be Mr. Outdoors every day of my life. Like right. I dreamed when I was growing up, I'm yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to live out in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hunt every season. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, yeah, just do it all. Do all this. And that's just not how life went. And so, yeah. And so I was like, well, I think I'm going to kind of dive into my second love. And my second love was music. And so, cause I was like, well, music, I can just do that anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so I, when he was a, my son, Jack, he was a toddler. I just remember sitting in my living room in uh, Gallopolis, Ohio, which is just rich in history. I mean, yeah, Simon Kenton. I mean, Daniel Boone lived across the river 
for I think like four or five years later in his life. And, um, but I remember I was writing songs and, and things started happening for me. Like I started getting people recording my songs and, and, uh, about a year later, I pretty much was forced to move to Nashville because I had so much going on, which is a pretty crazy story. It doesn't happen <laughs> to a lot of people, but right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my family, we, my wife and my, my son and my newborn daughter, we up and moved to Nashville and I've, I, that's where I live today. And I've been writing here for like 11 years now and have had some pretty amazing opportunities, you know, to, to write with some pretty cool people and get yeah. to know some famous people who I don't want to like name drop people and make people. Um, but i know a lot of cool people you know personally and but the whole time i've just been nagged by this what i would call a frontier yearning in my my gut yeah so so that's kind of what brought me to hawk and horse and this project of uh wanting to combine my love of, you know, muzzle loading frontier history and music. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been quite the journey to say the least. What, uh, I guess, what was kind of the, the real ignition for that? Was it, was it just that kind of nagging in, in your life or, or was there kind of a moment that was like, you know, I need to get up and I need to do this. You know, cause it's, yeah. we, we all kind of have the day-to-day stuff that we do and that can be exhausting mm-hmm. at times, but what, yeah. what was the thing that was like, you know, I, I've just got to do this now. Well, honestly, it, I, uh, so I've been a, a professional songwriter on music row for the last decade plus, And I just, I went into the row every day and I wrote a song mm. and then then I went home and I, you know, hung out with my family and I got up and I went downtown and I wrote a song mm. and I've literally written thousands of songs. And I think I came to a point where it was just not fulfilling anymore. I'm like, I was writing songs for other people to sing and they weren't about things that I was excited about. Like I, I really wanted to, I think that's the thing that really grabbed me is like, I want to do write and create, you know, more of my, uh, I don't know. It was, it's just, I wanted to write something a little more fulfilling, something that I was excited about, I guess is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I get that. And and it's not that I'm dissing all that hard work. It just, it just, you know, you do something for a decade and you start to go, Hmm. Is this still, is this what I want to keep doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And the music industry has changed so much hmm. in the last, you know, 15 years that it's, it's not like, it, it's not the dream, you know, dream thing anymore. It's, it's not what people think when they watch TV shows, you know, Right. it kind of becomes an industry at that point. And the, you exactly. know, there's, there's a lot of cogs working. 
as they say, nobody wants to see how sausage is made. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I'm in, I've been really enjoying making hawk and horse sausage. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really fulfilling, and I I get to you know sing about muzzleloading and and you know characters from the past that really have made a big impact on my life even though i never met them that's crazy to think about right yeah there are those things that you can kind of interact with that uh, yeah it's not necessarily bi-directional you know it's just kind of the past coming forward but there are those little nudges and pushes now and then that make it feel like you're really interacting with with what came before yeah absolutely yeah and that's and so one of the coolest things is when I, I, uh, I was like, you know what? I haven't been, built a kit in a long time. Mm. And I was thinking about, man, I, I want to buy a kit. And within like a week of that happening, uh, Kibler announced the woods runner. Uh-huh. And I, re- I remember your, your video about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was so excited. Oh, I was so excited. I, so what drew you to that Woods Runner then? Well, it was it was the the name and style and the the connection to the long hunter who used that that type of gun. But mm-hmm. uh, my obsession with, you know, the history of Daniel Boone and Simon Kenton and a lot of these um these folks, you know, that yeah, is a gun that is highly associated with the Ohio country frontier and the Kentucky frontier. And I, that's the main reason that it, it jumped at me. And I also talked to, to Jim just a little bit about that. I just, cause I expressed my obsession with <laughs> that particular era uh-huh. and how important it was to get, Pick the gun, the right gun, you know. Yeah. He, he he definitely he's like you want the woods runner. Oh, that's nice. If that's what you're looking for, so I I I said sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take long. Right, swipe the card and then it's it's there, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how long did you wait for yours? It was right at a, like six months, which seems to be what I'm hearing from a lot of people is a, a kind of the average i think Hmm. um that's about what i've been seeing yeah yeah and you know that was in some ways it kind of added to the excitement because it was you know it's not like an instant ship right like it was kind of like christmas and you're like waiting and waiting and the whole time you're like looking up originals and like oh what color should i do it and what so (laughs) the whole time you're kind of planning and thinking about it and yeah. it kind of added to the excitement i think oh yeah um so, so walk us through it when it when it when yeah. it showed up walk us through the the building process a little bit and and talk about what you yeah. ended up doing with yours yeah well the first thing i decided was i was not gonna hurry because i wanted to enjoy the process and um you know i i, I browned the barrel i uh, I, I went super, uh, simple. Cause I, I was, 
you know, I've told you I'm a nerd about this stuff. I was researching my own family history. Who, uh, my, uh, I think it was my great, great, I think it's like five great grandfathers ago moved to the Ohio country in 1814 in dark County over right on the Indiana border. Mm. And, and they were, you know, humble farmer, you know, like Quaker descent folk. And yeah. so I was like, I don't think they would be buying the extra fancy maple extra curl, you know, like yeah. they would be buying the humble thing. So I, I took that into consideration. I was like, all right, I, I think I ended up going with the fancy. So there was some curl in there, but yeah. that it wasn't extra fancy. Cause I was like, I don't think a Quaker would do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I, uh, but I went with a, uh, I kind of concocted my own stain where it was a, I used some, some of that bone black to darken things up. But I also use like a, a deep, uh, dark mahogany mixed with, uh, with some walnut. I wanted to give it kind of more uh, of like a Brown look. Yeah. It's a very unique look, but people who have seen it, like are all asking me how I did it. And I'm like, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> It was just kind of an, a science experiment. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was, and it's a one of one. I'm I'm no like you know precision engineer. I am a, I'm definitely a creative. So uh-huh. I'm never going to make the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but my goodness, shooting that thing was a joy. I I absolutely love shooting that thing. So what caliber did you go with? I don't think I caught that. I, yeah, I went with the forty-five. Okay, I, I have all fifties, and I was like, I definitely want to change it up here. And I thought about doing the fifty-four, but I figured I would do a fifty-four in something, maybe more of a, I don't know, because obviously I've realized it cannot stop here. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> So what are you so, thinking on the 54? I can tell you you're thinking about it. I, I can tell I'm that you're planning thinking. on it. I, the one thing I do know that I need, need, you know, need is a, uh, a fowler for Turkey season next year. Uh-huh. Or ideally yep. next year. I mean, I, Turkey season's right now. I'm actually going, um, in the morning. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, yeah. But I'm using a modern, Ah, uh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Boo. But I will, uh, but I really want a Fowler. So that's definitely, I'm trying to weigh, like, what do I want first? And I'm thinking I would go that direction first. Mm-hmm. Um, but baby steps, baby steps. Right, right, right. You got to, you got to enjoy what you've got right now before you start shopping for something else. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I've only shot shot by Woods Runner probably ten times so far. Oh, that's not even broken in. No, no, no. You're killing me, bud. I know. So I'm. I do plan. I'm taking that with me tomorrow. So after the morning hunt, I can send a couple down range. So deal. Yeah, but uh, I do. I do have a crazy story. I wanted to tell you about that thompson center arm uh hawking that my grandpa gave me 
So before I moved to Nashville, I uh, I lived in Galpolis, Ohio, and it's right down across from Point Pleasant. And uh, I had a really amazing place there on 20 acres, and it killed me moving from there. But uh, I bet. But uh, it was it was great and lots of wildlife and but my my daughter was uh, not born yet and my wife was having trouble, um, you know, like she was seeing high risk and everything about oh, her pregnancy yeah. and well, it turns out she she was going to be born early and so we went all the way up to Columbus, Ohio, to Ohio State to to uh for her to be born oh, and wow. this is right during uh deer season so this was a little challenging for me <laughs> but uh but my baby was being born so i right i i just you know i dealt with it <laughs> well she was born and we i'm glad you were there for it you, yes, made, you yes. made the right decision just in <laughs> case did. there's anybody wavering out there you made the right yes. decision yes. <laughs> be there because your child's you birth me. In case you're listening, Lizzie, I, I was there, but I, uh, basically she, she was born so early that she had to stay in the NICU for a month. Oh, jeez. And, and we were literally two, two and a half hours from home. So, so I was staying at my parents' house in Zeni, Ohio with my son while my wife stayed up there and I, I'd go up to Columbus every couple of days to visit. Well, I was kind of losing my mind cause deer season was happening and I was, you know, and then my birthday was coming up cause she was born right after my birthday. Oh, that's sweet. And, uh, long story short, we, uh, we decided, okay, Andy's going to go home and get some stuff we need and hunt for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and then come home uh-huh. or come back up to Columbus. So I drove all the way down and I gathered everything and I had my 50 cal uh, Hawkins leaning in the kitchen. Cause I was planning on going out uh, the next morning. Right. Well, I looked and this whole line of deer are coming through the front of my house I'm talking like 16 deer all in a row, just walking. <laughs> and the very last one was a super nice eight point buck. Oof. And I was home alone. I didn't have any pets, nothing. It was just me, deer and a 50 cow hawking. And I'm standing in my kitchen in my slippers. <laughs> and I said, Oh, I'm doing it. <laughs> and I opened the window and I, boom, my entire kitchen was full of smoke. It was <laughs> <laughs> the entire kitchen, just a cloud. And uh, anyway, I got the deer and and yeah, I didn't really tell my wife what had happened until mm. she came home and smelled the kitchen and was like, why does it smell like bad eggs in here? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to confess, but. Um, anyway, that deer's hanging on my wall. Oh man, that's awesome. I don't feel bad about it at all. No, that was, you that's my kitchen book. I call him the kitchen book. The kitchen book. That's great. I'm surprised so, he's not in the kitchen. 
Yeah, it should be. <laughs> I don't know if my wife be down. Mm. Might take a little little work to get that one done. Yeah, that's going to take some convincing. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. I've talked about Thor Bullets for over a year now, and uh, and I'd like to thank them again for their sponsorship. I really can't speak highly enough of these bullets. I, I think you should try them, not just because they're supporting the show, but because they are performing really well in the tests that I am doing. I also want to say real quick here that they have come out with their Thor muzzleloader practice bullets. These are a 50 caliber, 230 grain sabotaged lead bullet for you to get out. It's a little bit of a cheaper option for you to get out and shoot your muzzleloader, practice with your muzzleloader a little bit more. And in general, get more familiar with your muzzleloader without using the Thor patented, you know, hunting premium bullets that uh, we've been talking about here for a while. So that's something for you to check out, something for you to consider. Uh, there's a lot of muzzleloader bullets out there, but uh, really can't thank Thor enough for their support of I Love Muzzleloading. This podcast is brought to you by Muzzleloader Magazine, the publication for traditional black powder shooters. Since 1974, Muzzleloader has been the leading magazine devoted to traditional black powder hunting and shooting. Each issue is jam-packed with articles on hunting, shooting, gunsmithing, do-it-yourself projects, living history, American history, book and product reviews, and much, much more. Muzzleloader Magazine is the best traditional muzzleloading magazine, bar none. I'd like to thank Jason at Muzzleloader Magazine for his continued support of I Love Muzzleloading and the I Love Muzzleloading podcast. I don't care what you're into. If you're interested in muzzleloading, this is the kind of magazine I think you need to check out. I've been a fan of Muzzleloader Magazine even before the sponsorship. Uh, I've always been impressed with what Jason has been able to put out with Muzzleloader Magazine, and it really means a lot for him uh, to be supporting I Love Muzzleloading and our efforts over here. Thank you, Muzzleloader Magazine, for your support. So you you released the the first album. Yeah. When did you release that? What year was that? That was in, that was August of twenty two. So just so it was just last year. August. Okay. Yeah, but I painfully drug out four singles. So the first one came out in March of last year. So okay, that's what I was thinking. That there was a little bit more yeah. time in between there when you kind of burst onto the scene. We'll say. Yeah, yeah. So I, the album didn't come out until the right at the beginning of August, and I was definitely embraced with open arms, which I was very moved by. Yeah, I was very, you know, it meant a lot to me. It was also pretty inspiring. It was like a shot in the arm. I was like, wow, people care about this. So I, you know, so I, it's been easy to write more. So, so is that what's led now to the, to the second album? Well, the truth is the second album is the first thing I wrote. Oh, really? Okay. This is an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. I actually wrote this first because this is all inspired by the Ohio, Kentucky frontier of the 18th century. And, um, it, but I ha I just had written it and recorded it, and it was just sitting there on my hard drive. Okay. And then I and then I had also written the song called "Free," and I put that out because I thought, oh, this, you know, this is like a pretty cool song, and maybe people will like it. Well, thank you everybody for loving that song because that <laughs> kind of got this whole thing started, and 
but the epiphany I had was that song is really about a Rocky Mountain fur trader. Oh, uh, okay. And I was like, well, this can't be on the same album with my Kentucky album. So then I went into a frantic oh, writing no. of right. the first album, all about the Rocky Mountain scene. And so this, but this album, the second one, Long Hunter, it's technically the first one I wrote and the one that's most, you know, out of my being really. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, this is stuff that I've been brewing for years. So I, you know, this is, this one's pretty special to me and it, it covers, you know, a lot of ground. There's 16 tracks on it. So Jeez. I, <laughs> I, I was struggling and, and there's more that didn't make the cut. So I really had to, you know, be able to make some hard decisions. Yeah. Um, but so, the first, the first single is Pennsylvania long. And, um, I'm, it's a song I really am proud of. And I think a lot of folks are going to really enjoy it. But, uh, um, the, my, probably my favorite song is, is the title track long hunter. Mm. And, it's a pretty, I don't know. I'm just very proud of it because I'm proud of the song, but I'm also proud of like the recording. I just, I was, I was on that day and it just really, it really came together. Yeah. Um, but Pennsylvania long, I don't know when this will drop, but it, but my song comes out this Friday on the 21st. Built in Lancaster, an American son of a Jaeger, hammer forged iron German lock, set on a curly maple stock. You've seen every hill and every portage. And that's the only single I'm putting out. I'm going to drop the whole album on May 19th. Okay. So uh, um, I've definitely learned in this era, people, it's like the Netflix thing. People just want to binge. Hmm. And so it's, the game is about getting more out and not, it's not the old thing of like Garth Brooks where you like put a record out and then, and just build up and talk about the next one forever. You just got to get another one out there. Oh, okay. The game has changed. So that's why they're making a TV series for every movie, and they're making number seven of every movie. And (laughs) it's about content overload at this, and, you know, which can be overwhelming. Right. As a consumer, but. Um, so, so, but it also lets you pick favorites, you know? Right. Yeah. How does that change things for you uh, when it comes to kind of the, the making of, of the music for this? Because uh, I think you're definitely one of the guys that's out there kind of hybridizing, kind of muzzleloading as we've all known it and how, how the previous generations have known it with yeah. some of the contemporary practices of, of media and, and, and reaching new kinds of audiences. Yeah. 
that's i mean a lot of this is stuff i've learned from the music industry um i've known you know a lot of pretty cool success stories using social media i was kind of i didn't want to use social media (laughs) (laughs) right but i knew i knew enough to be dangerous so i was like i think you know i think i can do this especially you know i can i can grow this because these are my kind of people who are going to like this and then you know i can grow this beyond that potentially and honestly one of my big goals is to bring more awareness to this history into this hobby and and one way to do that is to cross those lines and music can just has a way of doing that kind of stuff mm. of finding new audiences and every day every day somebody discovers my music on spotify or apple music who is not in the rendezvous scene who's not you know building flintlocks and they're messaging me how do i get what where do you get a flintlock <laughs> that's awesome I'm, like i'm talking every day of my life i get a message about this stuff right so i am literally finding people who's who, they're percolating they're like what is this yeah and it's pretty exciting to be kind of be a part of that actually. Absolutely. I think it's, it's really energizing and it's, it's something that you don't see physically because those yeah. people aren't at an event or they're not right. in a, in a club hall yet. Right. Um, right. But it is super energizing because I'm in a very similar position getting messages and things of, of people wanting to learn more and they just don't mm-hmm. know where to go yet. So I love to hear that they're finding your music and then wanting to engage by getting out and doing it. You know, they're not happy yeah. just not that just listening is bad. You know, I want people to right. listen and to enjoy it, but they want to have more of that experience, which is just wonderful. Yeah. I find that I think that this younger generation, they are super interested. They want to learn things. They want to do things by hand. Like I'm finding so many people, you know, who are half my age, (laughs) (laughs) who are trying new hobbies all the time and trying to make things by hand. And, you know, they're, they're wanting to learn how to do stuff, which I find to be really interesting because I think there's a gap there where people didn't want to learn trades and learn how to do things with your hands. And yeah, but I, I feel like we're kind of entering a, a generation that's super into learning, I guess. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. They're kind of going the other way with it. But that's why social media is, is a very powerful tool, but it also can handcuff you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> when, the, when the powers that be like decide to handcuff you. So what um, what do you mean by that? What's been going on? I mean, I, I know what's been going on, yeah. but I've been, yeah. we, it's one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you here to kind of bridge this gap a little bit between the old and the new. Yeah. So, so music streaming so here's here's some numbers for you i jotted these down because i wanted you to be able to hear this in context but 84 percent of music in america is streamed 
now. Hmm. So, so literally, you know, 15% or so are vinyl, mostly vinyl, believe it or not. Really? And a very small sliver is CDs, very huh. small sliver. <laughs> and so, so 84% of the market in this country are streaming their music. So that's, you know, as an artist, that is my target. You know, that is, that's what I'm trying to grow is my streaming numbers. Right. And you have to go after that largest section that you have access to. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and this is another one, an average American streams 75 minutes of music a day. Huh. Um, and so it's a huge, huge outlet for music. And like we said earlier, it's kind of the binge, it's, it's the binge era where okay. you want to sit down and just binge a bunch of TV shows or binge, you know, a bunch of music. Nowadays, if a 20 something year old stumbles upon a band, they instantly dive into the catalog. They're like, who's Tom Petty? And then they start listening and they go, oh my gosh. They and just chew they, through it all. Yeah, exactly. There's like literally 40 years of music here. And so they, that's how they, they discover music is they want to deep dive into this catalog. Mm. Um, so anyway, Spotify is, is big. They, they, they make up 35% of the music, music streaming market in the world. Huh. And Apple music is about 25%. And then the other ones kind of fill in from there, like YouTube and Amazon. And, but, uh, so recently when I was working on long hunter and I was promoting, um, going through the process of promoting long, long hunter, um, and Pennsylvania Long being the first single, there is a process where you can sign up for what's called a marquee, where you can promote the song to all of your followers. Because otherwise, when you release a song, well, literally thousands of other songs are released every day. Mm. And so it's just in a sea of songs that came out. Right. Because you're not the only one, you're not the only artist working on publishing music independently right Got right it. absolutely and and all of the majors i mean there's there's literally thousands and thousands of songs a day that are released huh. and and so just say joe smith here he follows let's say 20 artists you know well all those artists he, he's gonna get all these notifications and it's just a sea of notifications and it's overwhelming and your song could just get lost like instantly. Right. Yeah. And so this promotion that Spotify has is called a marquee and it allows you to actually send like a reminder to your followers, the people who already follow you on Spotify and actively listen to you Okay. and send like a screen pop up. And this is something I pay for. Right. This isn't just a free thing that you can no, do to is... reach your own audience that you've built because right. it's their platform. They're right. gating that access. Okay. Yeah. And so I was in the process of this and for Pennsylvania long, 
and I got an email rejecting my request to promote the song because I wrote this down quote the artwork the artwork promotes content which is prohibited by the Spotify advertising policies because it quote contains shocking sensational obscene disrespectful or violent content and just so you know the <laughs> yeah, cover yeah what's the cover <laughs> the cover is simply a picture of the 253 year old York County Flintlock on display at the Met in New York. <laughs> That's all it is. And if, and of course, it doesn't have a flint in it. So it's unloaded. Right, <laughs> it's not, non-functional. But they, they rejected it, and I went through the appeal process, and I've gotten crickets on the whole thing. And... And it's frustrating because you work so hard. Like the hours I put into this project is, I don't even want to think about it. Right. And then you go to promote something and they're like, no, it, that has a, you know, a, a violent, it contains violent content. <laughs> so it's extremely frustrating. And, uh, and the problem is Spotify is the big dog. And so a lot of these other ones just follow suit and, you know, just kind of more or less copy the same standards. And uh, so I'm literally, you know, promoting via word of mouth on that single as of now. Wow. Which, you know, thankfully, you know, I have a lot of listeners who are happy to, you know, spread the word. So I'm very grateful for that, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, it's very frustrating and, and ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's something I talked about um, when I was at the Kalamazoo show, um, you know, whether you like it or not, many times what we do with, with our appreciation of history, wherever you're at, in whatever era you're at, you get lumped in with, um, like currently muzzleloading gets lumped in a lot with the modern firearms scene. And yeah. we are very different uh, from that scene. There's a lot of crossover there, but this yeah. is another really, uh, I hate to say it, but it's a great example of, uh, you know, kind of that forced connection that we can't do anything about, you know, not, not that I want to do anything about it. I mean, I, I'm a very adamant supporter of, of modern firearms in addition to, right. to muzzleloading. But in terms like this, where you have artistic expression and the appreciation mm -hmm. of history, you are being limited because of, of their definitions of, of what you do. <laughs> and right. it just kind of stinks. <laughs> and I'd also like to point out Spotify is not a United States based company. They're, they're out of Sweden. So interesting. And, and they're the largest streaming you know, company in the world. So they're very powerful in the music industry. And so yeah, whereas Apple is, you know, American based. Right. Um, so you do they have does does Apple then have more accepting policies towards uh, your music and promotion of well, it, or is it different? They, they do, but they also don't offer the same tools that Spotify offers. So okay. it's they're not 
they probably would implement the same rules if if they offered the same you know the same tool set okay but uh yeah the music industry is is ever changing right but, uh it used so, to be the, the music industry is where you would see the most obscene things you've ever <laughs> could ever I mean, imagine or not ever want to see again. Punk rock, <laughs> man. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, there's, a, <laughs> there's that crossover of, of independence and, and don't tell me what to yes. do. Absolutely. You get the man infiltrating it, though. and Yeah, exactly. This is exactly like rock, that's probably why rock is dead <laughs> but not rock locks right that's correct <laughs> i i had my first um interaction with this where uh, i had a picture taken down from facebook and instagram because oh, wow. i had shared a photo of a dutch canoe gun that, that had been restocked so it, oh, it had all the hardware was original, but the stock was not. So the phrase for that, for those of you unaware, is to refer to that muzzleloader as having been restocked. Facebook took that I, as I was promoting the sale of it, and oh. it was restocked in inventory. Oh my goodness! And I couldn't. There was no way for me to. I mean, I tried to explain that, but it didn't. I mean, it was all automated. Right. But it's it. You're just kind of yelling at a big, you know, glass tower. It feels like, you know, there's exactly. no room for explanation. And I mean, I don't like the rules. I think that they're silly myself, but, you yeah. know, as many of us uh, where we're at, you know, we, we play by them to, to have whatever kind of effect that we can, right. uh, you know, I agree with you. Like I would love to not have to do social media and I'd love to just to just yeah. do my thing and be fine. Um, but to reach people, that's kind of what you've got to do these days and try to find that balance. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, it's just the way it works now. If you want to be in, you know, if you want to be a loudspeaker for anything, it's got to be on social media. And, and the social media is a moving target, you know, like right. right now it's TikTok. <laughs> and I just, I am not, I just refuse to do TikTok right now. I just can't bring myself to it but uh becomes too much work you know trying to keep yeah. up with everything is how i that's how i feel about it well that, and also i remind myself constantly like there's pressure like oh i need to do a youtube video or this i gotta post a reel on instagram now i gotta well i gotta remind myself that i am supposed to be creating music right and and so you can't you can't let social media take you away from you know, what you're actually supposed to be doing and it can become a distraction, you know, yeah, a big distraction. Absolutely. So what's next then for Hawk and Horse? Is it, uh, yeah. are you taking a break after this album releases? Are you getting back into it? Are you taking some classes? You know, what's, what's happening? <sighs> you know, are you going to be making uh, your own, you know, from a blank soon? Give us some details here. This is a great question. I, I don't, I don't feel like there's a break coming. I'm still like running on like a high right now. I'm yeah. like inspired and I have recorded, you know, a couple other Hawk and Horse things. You know, I don't know what's going to become of them yet. 
I've produced a couple other bands. Um, I've been doing a little work with uh, Meat Eater, which has been pretty cool. Oh, I yeah. You know Clay Newcomb over there, who's who's definitely a history buff as well. And uh, I've, I got to get Clay Newcomb shooting a, a flintlock on one of his shows. That's that's I'm determined to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's I'm, big I'm, into bows and uh-huh. and you know primitive stuff. So I need to get him using black powder. I know that the uh, the meat eater episode where they were doing the Pennsylvania flintlock season. Um, yes. caused a lot yes. of discussion. <laughs> so I think it would, oh. it would be great to get them shooting, uh, shooting some flintlocks a little bit more. I think, I think people would love to see that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, I might go, I might go see Clay in a little bit in a couple months and I would definitely take along that Kibler for him to fire a couple rounds and see what he thinks of that. Oh Yeah. I think he would really enjoy that, but, um, yeah, but it's, it's crazy, you know, since I started doing this, just the folks who have connected with me, you know, like I said, music's a powerful connector. Oh yeah. It's crazy. Some of the, and I've, through all this, I've met, uh, uh, American frontiersman magazine uh-huh. and, uh, Obviously, I've I've gotten to know Jason at, at Muzzleloader, yeah, and um, so much support from some from folks in the hobby. It's pretty pretty humbling, you know. It's the only word that comes to mind. It's 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 really cool. But I'd say my plan is to keep making more. Uh, I just don't know. Like I haven't been inspired as to the direction yet. Yeah, I get that. You, you haven't really I'm gotten like, to the you haven't really got to the part where you can think about it just yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's so many things like in my head's like, oh, I, I got to do entire albums just about Lewis and Clark, and I've, I'm like, oh, I, I'd have to do something about, you know, like the revolution. Like I have all these like right. ideas always popping in my mind, and I'm. That's one of the the burdens of a creative is you gotta. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, and, and pause. Get to work. Yeah. I mean, just for my unsolicited two cents here, the Lewis and Clark album has to be great for road trips, is my yes. only request. <laughs> Absolutely. That is a, I'm planning on doing a big section of that this summer, actually. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah, we're, we're, I live in Nashville, so we're going to head up to St. Louis. And then go up, you know, through the Dakotas into Montana. I think we're going to make it to about Montana before we're going to turn around for, because we're hauling our our uh, our pop up camper. Oh, sweet! <laughs> so we like we like being outside. Yeah, that's wonderful. Taking the whole family then. Yeah, yeah, the whole family, which which is always an. An experience with my son in the wheelchair. I, uh, I, I never say nothing. You know, I'm anything is possible. Is until until the day I'm too old to handle it. But I, <laughs> I, I remember I, anywhere that we want to go, that's our thing. Is we he goes with us. So well, that's great. When he was little, I used to put him on. 
you know, one of those child backpacks that you would uh-huh. carry him around. I, yeah. and he and I hiked all the time until he got so big that I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and now I, you know, I've been known to, known to do some crazy stuff like hook his wheelchair up to a four wheeler. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I have a reputation for, uh, pushing the limits a little bit, but I just want him to experience as much as possible. So. Right. Yeah. Nobody can fault you for that. I mean, I think no. that's, that's just wonderful to hear. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're, we're going to try to go up and see like Fort Mandan and a bunch of the Lewis and Clark stops along the way. So I'm definitely looking forward to that little road trip. So, yeah, but as far as music, I, I can't see, too far past long hunter at this point yeah so um i'm i'm very excited to see what people think of this one for sure so is the album done or are you still working on the final touches it it is done it is done i uh it's in the music world you you create something and then there's this whole upload onboarding time period that has to happen Ah. So you you upload it much like you would upload your podcast here. Okay. I got to upload it to my distributor and then they have to send it to every music outlet in the world, which every one of those companies has a different flow and speed of onboarding. Oh, okay. So literally I had to have this all uploaded a month ago just for it to come out here when he wanted um, it to. Yeah, when I wanted it to at the right time. And then also for me to have time to uh, pitch it to playlist curators. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Oh, wow. In the music world. It's it's a little overwhelming at times. But so these, I have to ask, like the mm-hmm. playlist curators, do they yeah. just make playlists on the streaming services? And so you're you're asking them to include your songs? Yeah, so there's there's two kinds. There's there's Spotify like editorial curators, so they are employees of Spotify. Ah, uh, okay. Who run the those playlists, and then there's privately held playlists as well. And uh, like for instance, I operate some playlists myself, like uh, my my Mountain Man one that a bunch of you guys follow and listen yeah. to. Um. Like that's one I, I manage. Well, there's other playlists out there that I I pitch to as well. Some of I've known, you know, um, previously at some point that I can play stuff for. And then some people are, are I just reach out because they have a cool playlist, and I ask them, would you consider adding this song? And <laughs> you know, sometimes they're like, yeah, and sometimes they, you know, never read it. So. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's all part of the process because you want it to, you know, it it doesn't, if nobody hears it, then it's never going to do anything. So, right. There's nothing worse than creating a record and then not doing anything to promote it. So, yeah, again, it goes back to the it'd be nice just to, to do the creative thing that you want to do, but there's kind of the business end of it that takes up like, at least for me, it feels like 75% or more of the time. (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately, which, you know, I, I'm a weird, I'm, I'm one of those left and right brained people that 
I'm super creative, but I also have a business degree. So ah, okay. I'm, uh, the publishing aspect has always been pretty natural for me for, uh-huh. for whatever reason. It's just, I'm, I'm definitely a version of both of my parents and, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, which is a huge, in this town, that is an enormous gift <laughs> to, to, to have business sense and be able to write, you know, a hit song. It's, it's rare. <laughs> Where can people find you and your work if they, if yeah. they don't follow you already? Yeah. Uh, the, the number one place would be hawkinghorse.com, hawking like the gun. Um, and I'm super active on Instagram and moderately active on Facebook and very unactive on Twitter. But I'm, <laughs> I'm in all those places. Just type in hawkinghorse and, and I'll pop right up on whatever social media. I'm not on TikTok. So if you see somebody claiming to be hawking horse on TikTok, let me know. It's an imposter. He's an imposter. It's a red coat. <laughs> it's a red coat. <laughs> Handbuilt in Lancaster. An American son of a Jaeger. Hammer forged iron German lock Set on a curly maple stock You've seen every hill and every portage I'd like to thank Andrew for taking time out of his evening to sit down and talk with me. We had a great discussion about really everything that he loves and that I love about muzzleloading as well as some other musicians and bands that uh, make very similar music to kind of get you in the mood to go out into the woods with your muzzleloader. As always, I will have links in the show notes as well as at ilovemuzzleloading.com to Andrew's work, Hawk and Horse, and his upcoming album, Long Hunter, for you to check out, as well as the teaser of the song that we discussed that, as you are listening, came out last Friday. So I encourage you to check that out if you have the chance. If you are like me and you want to keep kind of muzzleloading in in history itself in your day-to-day life, even though you're kind of in the modern 9-to-5 grind, uh, listening to Hawk and Horse and and the other musicians that are out there doing this kind of music are are a great way to to keep that in kind of your mind as you're going through your day-to-day. I'm going to mention it here because Andrew and I got talking about it after really the main recording, but um, a big, uh, big recommendation that we both have, if you're interested in this kind of music and looking for more, is going to be Pete Kosky. Pete Kosky produced an album uh, a little while ago that really delved into the depths, I think, of American culture and history. And it has created a really iconic album. So in addition to Hawk and Horse, and and because Andrew features it on several of his playlists uh, out there online, I'm going to include a link to the Pete Kosky album, Songs of the Allegheny Frontier. All of Pete's music is kind of classic Americana, but the Songs of the Allegheny Frontier 
Uh, I joked with Andrew that if you think you might be into and interested in muzzleloading and history itself, and you listen to that album and you don't feel anything, I think that it's probably it's safe to say that it's not for you. <laughs> um, but if you're if you're like me and, and like Andrew and many of the other folks that we talked to here on the program, this is going to be kind of the album for you, and I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. Just as a unsolicited music recommendation for you here <laughs> in this episode. As of recording here, we're well into early spring here in northern Indiana on the farm, um, getting the garden ready for the year, but also it means that it's uh, warm enough to comfortably go out to uh, film and shoot. So got a lot more range videos coming up if you've not already seen them, as well as uh, some traveling that'll be coming up here to some muzzleloading events um, and a couple of muzzleloading campouts, which I'm really excited about. Um, to get out into the woods a little bit and uh, really unplug for a weekend and uh, and bring you along with the cameras at least uh, to experience a couple of these events. As always, if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, you can shoot me an email at ilovemuzzloading at gmail.com. Uh, m- much of the schedule is really booked uh, for me this year. I have to plan quite a bit in advance, but please do keep me posted on events and happenings in your local muzzleloading community. If I can't attend, I will be able to at least put them on the website to further promote the kind of stuff that you have going on in your area to help drive some people to your events in your local area so that we can keep all of this going for future generations. I say it all the time, but really the muzzleloading clubs and uh, and local events are the backbone of this sport. And I think that they're poised here in the in the next few years, especially for a large resurgence as we start to see people wanting to get more and more involved in muzzleloading. That's all I have for you this week. Once again, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>